I always have the head of my dad shows up as Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and I remember his words saying like, dude, don't be so extreme when you talk about how easy certain things are for you because you make other people feel like, shit, it completely takes all the power away from the people who are trying to get to a better place for something good to happen and they can't and then you make it sound so obvious or simple that they feel way worse. Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where company leaders and employees reveal the mental health stories that shaped how they think about work and themselves. This week we have Ariel Camus, founder and CEO of Microverse, for a conversation on how automating tough decisions with tech can psychologically protect your teammates and what it means to empathize with your team's mental health struggles as a leader even if you haven't experienced them yourself. This podcast is brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health support for the whole team. Welcome to the podcast. I'm extremely happy to have you here, not only because all of all your experience and everything that you have to tell us, but also because you're a friend and it's it's really, really special to have you here. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, for inviting me. When, when you told me about this, I, I got really excited for the same reasons. It's a topic that uh, it's super interesting to me. And also because doing this with you, it's uh, like extra meaningful. And, and I was looking forward to this. Perhaps you want to intro yourself a little bit as a person and also as a businessman. Absolutely. So I'm Ariel. I am the founder and CEO of Microverse. We are an online school that trains people for remote and international jobs. Most of our students are in emerging and developing countries. And what we're doing is helping connect people that wouldn't have access to the global economy to join that economy. So... We are talking about students that might be experiencing struggles and personal difficulties. Is there room to bring those things into microverse? Like, do you have opportunities to talk about their personal things? Because obviously that shapes their progress in learning. So the first couple of years, we tried to help everybody. And we quickly learned that that is a mistake. So we had to like pause for a moment after two years and realize, wait, how do we approach this in a different way? And I always use the analogy of an onion uh, where we peel layer by layer. It's not because we make people cry. And <laughs> the first layer is this very strict set of requirements that define who we can help today. And today it is someone with a decent English level. It is someone who has full-time availability, someone who has some openness to the challenges and opportunities of multicultural collaboration, someone who has a stable internet connection and power supply, which I gave for granted until I started this company. So today we have this model where we were able to balance strict requirements during the program with flexibility because for our students, predictability, it's a privilege that they don't have. I do. 
to a certain extent, but for them, the level of predictability is much lower than for me. I know that I have savings. Uh, for these people, they don't know if their parents are going to have a job next week. So we have integrations, for example, with the Zoom API, and we, tr we track a lot of data constantly, and we know which students are joining and have a high participation and uh, attendance rate. We know if they're actively participating in the calls, if they're having internet connection issues, and in an automated way with software, we provide feedback, and if they don't correct the feedback quickly, then they're being taken out of their like little cohort or class. The groups of collaboration get reshuffled automatically in a very neat way, and then the student has to met, meet certain criteria to be able to come back to the school, and they will have to repeat that same week once they come back after a month or two, and it always leads to a conversation with our student success team where they will say, hey, these are the requirements, we're super transparent, it's all automated, there is no human interaction intervention. And by the way, if we talk about uh, mental health at, at the workplace, this is something really important. In the past, we had human beings who were making these decisions. You're in the program, you're out of the program. The mental price that our team members were paying making these decisions for people who were like, wait, but my parents just got a loan to be able to pay for the solar panels to be in the school. And if I can remain part-time temporarily, I, I know I can make it, right? And I had these people having to make the decision of saying like, well, in your case, yes, in your case, no. We replaced that by software. Everybody was much more aligned on what's expected and everything now is done in a very clear way. And then the student success can have a conversation that is purely about supporting the students emotionally and say, hey, we know that this is hard, but there is a way for you to come back. It is just that in the meantime, the other students can connect with the other students who have the level of participation daily that they need to be able to work collaboratively. And you can come back as soon as you're ready for that. And the whole system rearranges everything automatically. Ultimately, our, our vision is that the world where you're born doesn't determine your opportunities in life. And we're not going to stop until that happens to the entire world. You were saying this student success team has very difficult and deep conversations with your students. How do you make sure that they have the tools to navigate this kind of conversations? One of the first things that I discovered or that we have discovered as an organization is that not everybody is meant for that type of role. And that makes total sense, right? Being a doctor, being a therapist, it's not for everybody. We also made it very clear that these people are not therapists. They're not mental health professionals. So we define very clear boundaries of how far they can go to help people and at which point they have to say, hey, here are the resources or the type of things that you need to seek out to be able to get what I believe you need today it is about understanding your limitations and then learning to be okay with that, which is the part that not everybody is okay with. Like having someone who just got a loan for this and now they can't continue attending and the software told them you can't continue attending the school for some of these people who are getting their emails, like they, they couldn't hold that weight in their hearts. Now they're not making the decision, but at least they have to live with the fact that students are reaching out to them and saying, but please, right? So we have to find the right combination of software, the right people and the right guidelines to set the right boundaries. Okay, so I hear that they need to have self-awareness on where they are comfortable and can go and where not. And how do you do that? How do you make sure that they... No, and it's not like I went far. So we have seen every type of problem that you can imagine. We have had students 
dying of malaria while they were in the program. We have had students going into war. Like we have seen so much uh, from the distance, right? But we have seen it through the eyes and the lives of our students. So what we have done is uh, we have tagged all these conversations, all these data, and we have extracted all the, the patterns, all different cases that might happen. And we have defined what are the type of answers that you can provide in some cases and the type of answers that we can provide in others. And we have standardized some of those uh, answers by creating FAQs that team members are trained to reply and say, hey, what you're dealing with this, and they will provide some part that is personalized because they care about these people and say, hey, we have created this resource specifically for this type of case. Please go there, follow that. If there is anything that you feel like that's not enough, you can always come back to me. But we have basically productized the answers to the parts that we can help with and the parts that we can help with even the guidelines are say, hey, and now it is time to seek out like a mental health uh, professional. And we provide some options in case there is like affordability issues. So like it's always providing a path forward. It might not be as straightforward. Some people might not be ready to accept it yet, but it's always providing our best answer with what we have today. And then systematizing that by creating standard answers to some of the most complicated questions. I got very shocked when you were saying you experienced having students who died in the program or that their physical safety was in danger. The, the student, by the way, who died from malaria was one of our first students when it was just me running the whole school doing everything. And I remember his coding partner reaching out to me and saying, Ariel, like he's not responding to my messages. And I was super invested emotionally and tactically in getting students to work together with each other. And we started reaching out to the sister of the student that we found on uh, Facebook because we knew the last name. And it was through the sister that we found out. And I, th I would say like once a month, I remember the students and the feeling, what I felt when, when I heard the news. Yeah, it was a shocking moment. What did you feel? Hmm. It's hard to describe. Today, I'm so much... Not, not detached, but distant from the student's reality because as a CEO and a team of 60 people there, back then those, you know, relationships were like, like, they were like, not my friends, but they were people I care um, about and for. And to me, it was like a dear person that, that you lost. There was mourning in, in that. And today it feels like a little, it's so hard to describe. Like uh, you, you think about this person and something inside you feels like, it's like a little hole there. You're like, huh, that person is no longer alive and he was such a happy proactive passionate developer with a bright future so yeah it is a very unique uh, feeling that i can compare to anything else i imagine he left like a wound there i i can't say that it was you know traumatizing or like probably doesn't feel like exactly like the loss of a your life partner or something like that definitely right but it felt like a human loss of someone that you care about individually. And uh, I think, of course, every loss is different. And this is one that I will remember for the rest of my life. I was wondering, you were saying that when you were a child, your parents were working a lot. And so I'm guessing, and this is just pure guessing, that it was difficult for you as well, or at least that... You didn't have like a, an easy way and access to everything. So how would you define your childhood? I am so grateful for everything I've had in my life. I have to be honest, like, I don't think that I've ever lacked anything. 
Now, the price that other people have to pay for that to be true, that's a different question, right? And I think this is just an opinion, but I think the role of a parent is to protect their kids from certain things, right? And depending on the age of the kid, it's different things. But when I was a teenager and we came to, to Spain for the first time, I was protected from some of the crude complexity of my mom working three jobs while she was going through university, having to test for like nine new subjects to convalidate her title. All of this, like, you know, happening at the same time. And I, I was aware, of course, I saw her doing all of this, but I never saw or experience her suffering directly in a way that impacted me. I feel like I was always aware but protected. And I think somehow that combination is a, it's a pretty empowering one because it lets you develop yourself, focus on the right things at the right time as a teenager. Uh, if you can, I think as a parent, I would love for my kids to not have to struggle or to deal with my financial struggles as a mm. father, right? I'll deal with that myself and protect them from that. But at the same time, protecting them doesn't mean that you make them blind to that, right? It's how do you give them exposure to that without letting them pay the emotional price of that. And what this allowed me to do was to then, years later, as I became an adult, start reflecting on all these experiences that I witnessed in my parents without paying the price emotionally when I was already, psychologically ready for that, but to be able to then process all of that later as an adult and realize holy cow, I used to complain that I had to like help my dad in his restaurant once or twice a week doing dishes until 1 or 2 a.m. Then as an adult, I'm like, he did that six or seven days a week until 4 a.m. and since 7 a.m. Like, I don't know if I would do that today, to be honest. Like, that is insane. And I saw him tired, but he never complained to me or told me that I'm doing this because of you and he was definitely doing that because of me so I think all of this has definitely shaped me in so many different ways it made me aware of all the privileges that I've had in my life and all the luck that I've had in my life and it gave me kind of this narrative and at the end of the day everything is just narratives and subjective stories that we make up in our heads and right but in this case it, it made me think about how Many of the opportunities I had in my life were because my parents made all the sacrifices. There's one thing that I really like about you and it's like how you have this ability to turn difficult things into possibilities, like you were saying. And even when you're talking now, you can, or at least I can feel very like empowered and this motivation and you have this positiveness around many, many things. And before we started recording, we, you were saying like this positivity sometimes can be perceived as something negative because it's like, I don't remember how you put it, but it was like, could make other people not feel like that, therefore feeling even worse or something like that. Yeah. So I was wondering, how do you navigate in life with this positivity and also realizing that it's not easy for everyone to be this positive? Yeah, I think having had people around me who have struggled with depression and realizing that it's 
definitely not about applying some rationalism to the situation that will fix it, right? It's a very different state of mind and like it, it really, it was so obvious very quickly that that was not going to help at all. Just say, oh, but try this and you're going to feel better or, you know, do this. It's so obvious this is better. And, you know, I always have the head of my dad shows up as Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and I remember his words saying like, dude, don't be so extreme when you talk about how easy certain things are for you because you make other people feel like shit it completely takes all the power away from the people who are trying to get to a better place for something good to happen and they can't and then you make it sound so obvious or simple that they feel way worse so like this can be a topic for another podcast but i don't believe in free will and the i don't know this opens a big pandora box here but the reason I mentioned this is that this is another reason for me to be incredibly grateful. I know that this optimism that you're talking about, yes, it is a characteristic of my personality, but it is probably something I was born with. It's part of my genetics, what my environment led me to be the way I am. I didn't choose to be this way. So being aware that this is not just something that I work on to be this way that I'm just lucky one makes me feel very grateful for and two makes me realize that not everybody is the same and then to put a lot of empathy in these hard conversations and to always start by acknowledging right and this is a constant exercise it doesn't happen or it doesn't come up naturally to me to like validate what other people are feeling but I'm you know this obsessive personality you call it like the fixer that is always trying to find solutions to problems so like I've had to like to train myself to like rewire my brain to not jump to solutions and to stop to acknowledge whatever the other person is feeling to listen before i offer advice and even when i offer advice to open up the conversation in a more humble way by anticipating and saying hey i think that this might help but i'm really sure in my head which is probably overly simplifying the problem this could you know help in some way but i don't know how you feel about this like it's always saying this is a very subjective comment that i'm making here it's not an absolute statement because there is no such thing as an absolute reality i think there are great tips for approaching people when perhaps you are not in that same situation and you do want to help out but you don't want to come and say like, oh, this is easy, this is fixable, because I never experienced it. And when we are talking about emotions, it's way more complicated. And at yes. the same time, we are all different mm -hmm. people. I always say when I talk to leaders and everything, that vulnerability brings people closer. When you open up and you talk about your vulnerabilities, your difficulties, you connect with people from there. It's like the human core, and that brings you closer to people. So I imagine that when this positivity or capability to put everything in the positive side is a little bit like a superpower, let's put Absolutely. it that way. Right? Absolutely. So how do you manage staying closer to people? How do you close that gap and really get to be close and to, to connect with people from those vulnerabilities, let's say? Yeah, so one of our core values as a company is transparency. And transparency has some obvious interpretations in a very tactical you know, way, like our compensation is transparent and we document things. And of course, that's a sign of transparency in the organization, which helps a lot with remote work and all of that. But 
the most important version of transparency is vulnerability, is showing up as our whole selves. And I will never forget this day, we were in San Jose going through Y Combinator, and one of our initial team members, we were like 12 uh, people back then, we were doing a one-on-one, and I decided to leave that one-on-one by asking her how she was feeling and to asking if it was okay for me to share how I was feeling. And, you know, the one-on-one went really well. And at the end, she told me, Ariel, thank you so, so much for sharing how you were feeling and sharing something you were struggling with because it helped me so much humanize someone that I always see as the this hyper-productive, hyper-optimistic person that everything, you know, um, goes well for him. And now I know that you struggle, <laughs> that you suffer. I just know that you face that with optimism, but that the problems are still there for you and that you also have shitty moments. And I'm like, definitely I do, right? I'm lucky that I have more, I guess, happy moments at that one, but I'm a human being and moving forward, I'm going to share this on all my one-on-ones. And I started doing that in all the one-on-ones in the company, always asking how people are sharing, validating whatever they're feeling before jumping to any advice or any solution and sharing also how I am feeling. And right now I'm even doing this in all hands for the entire organization. I'm doing this in like social events. We have this event on Fridays, And I often will say, Oh my gosh, it's Friday. I am so happy because I am exhausted this week. And the thing that I don't want to be doing anymore this week is work. So I'm so excited that I have the full weekend to disconnect and not do any work. And I know I'll also be excited to come back on Monday and be able to have both things. It's wonderful, right? And since then, I realized that people feel like closer, right? More open to also show up themselves as as a whole, to have meaningful conversations. And I realized that 90 8% of the time, and I'm not exaggerating, the biggest blockers for most people, but I'm going to talk in a professional setting for a moment here, has nothing to do with lack of productivity or lack of intention or hard work or a framework or project management tool. It is our own brains and minds. We are our worst enemies. And precisely in a mission-driven organization like Microverse, there is a lot of research that mission-driven organizations have the highest rates of burnout professionally. And it is because we care so much about our work, right? That how could we not put the extra hour to do something that is meaningful to us that can help other people? But that is a really bad path to get into because it's a fallacy that just more hours will fix the problem. Mm -hmm. So I've had to work nine out of 10 times in my one-on-one people on how do I get them to take more time off from work, how do I get them to be less demanding with themselves? Because also the way they treat themselves is how others will see them. And if they're leaders and everybody's a leader in some way, they're setting the example for other people. So other people will start pushing themselves so hard that this is only going to last so long. And this is a long-term journey that we have in front of us with my careers. I want my team to be with me in 10, 20 years, right? And the only way is to take care of each other for the long term. That requires optimizing our energy, not for now and for the next round of financing, but for whatever is going to happen in the next like 10, 20 years of history of the company. Talking about vulnerabilities and sharing and how you one can connect closer with people by sharing vulnerabilities. I would like to ask you, what is the 
one thing you would like to work on related to a struggle that you usually have? So I think I have this pinned down because I was talking about this personality of the fixer, right? You see a problem, you jump into offering a solution that it's so obvious. And behind all of this, uh, my dad will say as a psychoanalyst that there is an obsessive personality that is trying to build a golden cage, right? You are painting a cage of gold and shiny things and you're putting a little bird inside so it's all bright around them, but it's still a cage, right? What you're doing with that is trying to control things. And it is in controlling things that you get to deal with all the stuff that you don't know it's missing. And fixing problems for other people, it is a way to be liked by people, right? It's a way to please people so that people want to stay close to me. I've noticed that when I can't please everybody, I hurt. And that's something that I'm working on as a leader is to be okay, not being able to please everybody. And I've also realized that Something that triggers me is that when I have to choose between pleasing someone else or doing something that I need to take care of myself is when I struggle the most. And I'm trying to at least be aware when that happens. So then, first of all, I understand why I feel so like flustered in that moment. And I'm like, no, it's this type of situation. I typically feel this way. And then make sure that I am taking care of myself if I need it before I can help others. So what is the cost? of neglecting your own needs in order to be liked? I think it depends on the, on the situation, but I think an obvious one can be that consciously or unconsciously, if you please another person, but you don't please yourself in a way that you need it, you might resent it later. And that is not an act of love, an act of kindness, it's just something you do because in your nature, but at the end, everybody ends up paying the price of that. So what's the point of doing it that, that way? So. And then, even though I am a yes, happy person for the most part, I struggle like everybody else and I have my needs and I have to take care of myself like everybody else. And if I neglect that too much, then I end up feeling a little bit of anxiety in some cases or feeling exhausted in other cases or feeling like I don't really have everything that I need that I want to be doing today. Sometimes you end up in the wrong relationships. Sometimes you end up extending the lifespan of a relationship too long just because you're trying to do it for the other person not for yourself or you're trying to do it for the challenge and not because that's the best thing for you too it's like it, it depends so much on the case but it, it, it results always in hurting yourself or hurting myself in this case thank you so much for sharing thank you so much for your time and obviously it was a pleasure talking to you and I really hope that you get into this journey of taking care of yourself as much as you take care of the rest and that you can have this objective to be liked by yourself as well as by the rest. Thank you for that and thank you for, for having me here, for inviting me. It's been uh, not just fun, I will say not only fun, but it's been meaningful. I think the conversation we've had almost like a therapy session. So. Thank you for your time to my, and I look forward to many other conversations like this one. Thank you, Ariel. Take care. This episode of Mental Health at Work was hosted by Maite Otero, produced by Billy Cragen, and brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health support for the whole team.
Big thanks to Ariel for being the first self-described optimist on the podcast. If you'd like to join a coding course with people from all over the world, check out Microverse. If you're a fan of the podcast, you can like or subscribe to Mental Health at Work in all the usual places. And if you really want to help us beat the podcast search engine algorithms, you can also leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, preferably a positive one. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.